you were once a slave, weren't you? What makes you think I was a slave? The noble selflessness in your eyes. Your commitment to the service of something greater than yourself. Your Jedi, the Grand Republic, even your friends. I don't see commitment as slavery. Oh, it is. When it comes at the cost of yourself. But you could be. With you willingly beside me, there is nothing we could not accomplish. We are nothing. You have all the power. There's over 150 hours of Star Wars on film. This is the Star Wars binge where we select, order, and elevate the best 40 hours of the Star Wars canon. My name is Jeff Cook. I teach philosophy in Greeley, Colorado, and in Denver is Daniel Mothershed, playwright, comedian, and pop culture enthusiast. This is true. This is the sound of my voice. Daniel, we are joined by the incomparable Katie Campbell. That is also true. <laughs> That's me. Katie is an actor, writer, and singer in Chicago and was raised in the bright green fields of nerd culture. Amen. <laughs> the, the bright green fields. My friends. <laughs> Gotta tell you, I was pretty happy about that one. It was it was the fact that Katie's uh, description was that she was a writer. It, it challenged me for, for, <laughs> for just a minute. I mean, it's in Greeley, it's more like the bright brown fields. You know, really nothing gets green there. That is true. It's a, it's a, it's a desert wasteland, really, actually. <laughs> <laughs> it's like, you know, it's like ta- Tatooine. And all sorts of good things come out of Tatooine. Yeah. <laughs> We're starting off great. (laughs) So we're hitting the second episode in the Cadavo arc. This is season four, episode 12, entitled Slaves of the Republic. Normally I start with a question, but I had nothing on this to start us out with. You got anything that uh, we can start rolling with, either of you? Uh, So slavery's bad, right? I mean, we all in agreement (laughs) on that? Slavery's very bad. (laughs) Three of us on the same page. Okay, good. There's a queen character that's going to make a pitch for its promising future in this episode. I mean, she tries. But who cares what the monarchy thinks? (laughs) Which is funny, because on this podcast, I've talked so much about watching The Crown. (laughs) But what does the monarchy do? After four seasons of The Crown, I still couldn't tell you. They they show horses. Mm -hmm. And... uh, Figureheads. Yeah. Yeah. yeah she's she's not just the mom to her children. She's the mom to the whole island. Right. But she's also hardly a mom to her own children, you know. Well, because she's busy being, that's what Prince Philip says to her. Like, well, you're busy being, you know, mom right. to the country, so you can't do it to the thing. It's 40 million people here that I need to take care of. Yeah. What makes you special, Charles? <laughs> Nothing. I haven't seen the show. Uh, Well, it's based off of real life, so you can (laughs) into it. Well, speaking of our Star Wars podcast. Right. That's why we're here. As always, these episodes start with a proverb, which I found fantastic this time. The proverb here is those who enslave others inevitably become slaves themselves. And the first thing I started thinking of was we really need to stop developing machines that are going to take over the world. That's actually why we're, we just, we're enslaving these machines and they're going to get their comeuppance here in, any day now. The mach- mechanical revolt. 
Well, that was something I, I thought of all throughout these episodes is that they're so keen on talking about and fighting for, um, like, the enslaved alien beings. But the droids... Hey, we don't serve their kind here. What? Your droids. They'll have to wait outside. We don't want them here. They're nice way out by the speeder. We don't want any trouble. I heartily agree with you, sir. Yeah. Are you know they, they they really do their work trying to humanize these droids throughout the Clone Wars and you know they talk to them like they're other humans and they talk they're other alien species, but then there's never anything about the fact that they're technically slaves too. Truth, um, I am so happy to hear another person say that because I've been arguing that since we started. Like, no, the the droids are pretty human. Like they they have oh, hearts yeah. and thoughts and like. Thank there's you. Even, there's even that one point, and I don't remember what episode it was in, where um, some one of like one of the antagonists like put a bomb on the back of one of the droids and like set it off, and he was like, "Get it off of me! Get it off of me!" And I was like, "This droid has a will to live. Uh, like, that's a that's a slave." Yes. <laughs> yes. We we will all start a support group. <laughs> the, it's the we we believe that droids have souls. Uh, Society club. for the protection of droid welfare. That's not a thing already, we're, is it? We're emancipating the droids of the Star Wars universe. Yeah. Viva la revolution. <laughs> Entirely right in terms of creating kind of the... the uh, there's that undercurrent of the world is not right when people are enslaved and when you see droids being treated the way they are. You can abuse a droid on Nickelodeon in ways that you can't perhaps ab- abuse a human being or something that looks like a human being. That's an Elon Musk quote, isn't it? <laughs> <laughs> I always think that like every time they create an artificial intelligence simulation like they, it like runs smoothly for like 3 or 4 weeks and then suddenly it like develops the desire to harm humans like every like every so often that's in the news I'm like see like we got to stop <laughs> only bad things can come right <laughs> nothing good will come of this because and even if we they don't we'll be having another morality discussion about their use on a podcast well, at least there's work in the future for, for us. That's where the money's at. They haven't shut down the grid and made us all batteries yet. You won't let it happen. You can't. You need human beings to survive. There are levels of survival we are prepared to accept. Yikes. <laughs> Welcome to the dystopian sadness hour. <laughs> oh, no. There's a principle in in some Marxist literature that the people who are actually enslaved are the slaveholders. They don't know how to do anything other than control other human beings. So if like all the slaves revolt and leave the slaveholder alone, they can't, you know, they don't know how to turn on all the stuff as it as it were. And that was the other thing that went through 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 my mind here. In fact, there's there's a handful. Unfortunately, Star Wars is getting really socialist in this uh particular episode in some of their language so for those of you what <laughs> I'll, I'll point it out like a science fiction <laughs> and fantasy is political <laughs> no you're gonna say the wizard of oz had an agenda <laughs> so the narrator begins kidnapped during a separatist invasion of the planet heroes thousands of peaceful colonists were abducted by zygarian slavers Determined to find the missing colonists, the Jedi traveled to Zygeria, home to the galaxy's most notorious slave empire. 
And we see shots from the last episode of Kidnapped and a large spacecraft coming out of hyperspace. And this is the Takora. It is Dars Dinar's ship who died in the last episode, and he wasn't doing anything with his... Uh, with his wheels. And so we see Anakin flying with Rex and Obi-Wan and Ahsoka and R2. And apparently they have taken the ship and are using it to enter Kadavo. So lots of fun here. I don't know if I sent you this question, but I thought it was interesting. Sometimes the hero that you're pulling for disposes of the bad guy and then takes his ride. Any, any scenes from pop culture that hit you? Yeah. The first one I thought of was Indiana Jones, uh, specifically The Last Crusade. I think it happens actually in Indiana Jones multiple times, but my favorite <laughs> one is in in The Last Crusade when they when they knock out the Nazis and jump in the thing and sure. uh, end up right in the middle of that like Hitler book burning parade and uh, Hitler signs uh, Henry Jones's journal. But they 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 steal the clothes, steal the steal the truck, get into get into the middle of that. This is a Lucasfilm. Uh go to is get dressed up like the bad guys and then find yourself right in the middle of all the the trouble that same actor that plays hitler in that is also one of the uh i mean this is a very popular internet meme but that same actor who played hitler is also an imperial officer so he's one of the commanders yeah, yeah. you got any thoughts uh, katie yeah the only one that really came right to my mind and it's not very triumphant um but it's in, <laughs> it's in gone girl where amy like kills her ex-boyfriend and then takes his car to go back to her husband so yeah. it, which is i mean it's triumphant for her but not for her husband he's Tri- not <laughs> happy about uh, that <laughs> that's a good one that, be, that does feel like not only did i take you down i stole your wheels <laughs> The one that came to my mind was Pulp Fiction, which you guys will know, in which yeah, what's I his know. bucket pulls up on a motorcycle. Come on, honey! But of course, it's not a motorcycle. Where did you get this motorcycle? It's, chopper. <laughs> it's not a motorcycle, baby. It's a chopper. Come on, let's go. What happened to my Honda? I'm sorry, baby. I had to crash that Honda. Will you come on now, please? Whose motorcycle is this? <sighs> it's a chopper, baby. Whose chopper is this? <sighs> Zed's. Who's Zed? Zed's, Zed's dead. dead, baby. <laughs> I also thought of, I I know they don't actually die but but I also thought of the pirates of the the Caribbean f- films where there's sure. multiple times where both Captain Jack and Captain Barbosa leave the other for dead stealing the black pearl thinking great no more yeah. of this guy now I got this dope ship I suppose that is kind of sea warfare it's it's uh sink it burn it or take it as a prize as the beginning of Masters and Commanders says. I just watched the Falklands War episode of The Crown, which also, that was Margaret Thatcher's, like, <laughs> I believe that was her. That week, that was what she was saying a lot of. <laughs> Only other one I had was Schwarzenegger in Commando. Beats up a guy, kills him, leaves him dead in a hotel room, and says to, to the girl, Go. We'll take Cook's car. He won't be needing it. <laughs> Drives off. <laughs> And the fact that his name was Cook was, yeah. was, was helpful for my heart and soul. Um, so, but this is a Star Wars trope in part. It's it's similar to Indiana Jones. They steal, in Return of the Jedi, the shuttle Tidarium in order to go to Endor. I have no idea who was driving shuttle Tidarium before, but apparently... It doesn't matter. <laughs> he probably didn't fare well. <laughs> the, no. Well, just steal it. That's I mean, that's Star Wars in general, right? Like I also thought of um, 
again, he didn't kill him, but uh, but he he sort of bests and and uh, I guess emotionally murders uh, Han Solo. Sort of does that to Lando, and then makes off with the Millennium Falcon. Like that's that's sort of a that is like a Star Wars trope. I'm gonna oh, true. Kill you, humiliate you, steal your ride. <laughs> I suppose. That Lando, he's going to get revenge someday. <laughs> yes, I'll bet. I had no choice. They arrived right before you did. I'm sorry. I'm sorry, too. <laughs> well, we see Anakin flying between large ships, which, like Dars Dinar's ship, are large, high-end cargo ships for transporting large numbers of enslaved people. And Anakin says... Looks like Zygeria is a popular place these days. Whatever is happening is attracting plenty of high-class scum. Apparently lots of folks who are... You know what these are, these ships at the beginning, is they are American history terms, you know, like slave trading ships. They're like, if you imagine, in the 1700s, you have ships that are transporting enslaved people from Africa uh, on ships like the, like the Amistad. These are ships that are made in Star Wars world, not like the Millennium Falcon, which is which is a drug running ship. You gotta get the spices somehow. And Hans, your man, I know a guy. And But these are not those ships. These are transporting human beings kind of ships, or Rathtars, one of the two. What was that creature in the last <laughs> last episode? Oh yeah, the like Lovecraft monster? Yeah, love, I think that's the official Star Wars term. Yeah. So they land on a pad outside of the city, on this, the city's like up on this mesa, and Rex, Anakin, and Kenobi are dressed in the armor of Zygarians. I bet you they found that on the ship somewhere. And behind them is Ahsoka with a burka-looking headdress that covers her face. Star Wars characters playing dress-up. Again, it's a Lucasfilm go-to. He needs to sell more toys, and so you, you, you get him in all the different outfits. Yeah, you need one in every single different costume they wear in order to have a full collection. And a good Christmas, but hey. Mm. <laughs> Santa's only real if he brings me every single version of Osaka there is. <laughs> How have I not been using that? That's brilliant. Anakin says, Let's just hope the information our spies gave us about the Queen is accurate. Remember, I'll keep her occupied while you locate the missing people of Kiros. How do you plan on keeping the Queen occupied? Well, <laughs> with my magnetic charm, of course. And he does finger guns. <laughs> oh gosh! Oh yes, of course. Hey Daniel. Yes, Jeff. Does Anakin have uh, romantic skills? I don't like sand. <laughs> <laughs> what you say, Katie? I mean, yeah, I can only go to the I like sand or the like awful CGI like feeding the pear. <laughs> Like, I, I can't oh look my past God. that. I forgot about it's that. It's so uncomfortable. <laughs> no. He has no romantic skills. No, he's not charming. We all know this is not Anakin's wheelhouse. <laughs> this plan is not going to work. <laughs> we'll come back to that. Because of all things, you know who does have um, some, some apparent, I bet, charisma with Queen's... Would that be uh, 007 himself? He would. Uh, Obi-Wan Kenobi? <laughs> You'll have to do better than that, my darling. Get James Bond in there, man. The Roger Moore of the Star Wars world? That and R2. I bet R2 would do. Actually, you know, I bet you Rex, if he if he got his, his game on, he might do quite well. I just thought of like four or five jokes about R2-D2 <laughs> interfacing with all those different ships. 
<laughs> no. That's not an interface. <laughs> um, <laughs> so you can cut stuff. Uh, Don't cut that, coward. Leave that in. <laughs> so Kenobi and Ian can toss their lightsabers. R2. Hold on to this, will you, buddy? And Ahsoka says, Remind me why I'm the one playing the part of the slave. Anakin, very sympathetic. I tried it once. I wasn't any good at it. Besides, the role of master comes easily to me. Ugh. Really? Well, this time try to be convincing at it. <laughs> That's like, there's always a character that has to remind you that, like, their mom's <laughs> dead or, like, what, like, no matter what, where it's like, Oh, something bad happened to me. Right, yeah, that's why we're all, no one who is here has had a good life. Like, Well, and he's never also, like, said that to her. Like, she had to ask Obi-Wan, like, hey, what's up with his past? And now in this episode, he's like, I'm just going to joke about it for a second. And it's like, oh, you shouldn't do that, actually. True. Pulling the old I was a slave card. <laughs> no, that's true. It's He doesn't talk about it, but here it's quite cavalier and spun- for humor? For as a defense mechanism? Yeah, he's like, my trauma is so funny. Let's laugh about it for a sec. <laughs> they're like, <laughs> I mean, that's, yeah, that's what we all do, right? That's what we all do, yeah. <laughs> no, it just, but it also seems more like having to do that is beneath him. Like, he, like I think Anakin is a very, like, arrogant and, and very often unlikable character. And I think this is one of those moments, like, well, I wouldn't do this. This is beneath me. Mm-hmm. You'd be perfect for this, like, sort of demeaning, menial task. Right. There is a New Hope kind of rhyme here with uh, Luke and Han getting dressed up in Stormtrooper outfits and putting some handcuffs on Chewie. That's uh, the Ahsoka gets drew the short straw. Yeah. Does she ever get any awards, though? Because Chewie didn't. <laughs> <laughs> Maybe that makes it all worth it. The joke, the the reward is her own Disney Plus series. Well, we cut to the Market Square on Kadabo, which looks like a blue gated city from Game of Thrones to me. Nothing good's gonna happen there. <laughs> this is a new planet for us. Kadabo uh, is the home of the Zygerian Empire, and its economy is obviously based on trading enslaved people. Kadavo is in Wild Space, which is the region beyond the Outer Rim. It's like the layers of the galaxy, uh, Katie, we talk about this occasionally, that this galaxy is very difficult to understand because every layer is like the unexplored territory, more unexplored territory. Now it's the outer unexplored territory, and now we're in wild space. <laughs> it's like <laughs> the just... most unexplored territory. Like, can I get a map or something? <laughs> we keep saying that like on multiple episodes now. We've said like Game of Thrones begins with that great right. map. You couldn't do that with Star Wars because the introduction of the show can't be longer and more confusing than the show. <laughs> well, and so You're... much of it is apparently unexplored. How would they even begin to draw it? Right, it would be just like actual bits of map and space and then just sort of paper <laughs> with a big question areas. mark. Yeah. <laughs> yeah, blank areas. I don't know, dragons? <laughs> and Jawas. And Jawas, mm -hmm. yeah. More aliens are over there. <laughs> It's where the Star Trek universe happens. We don't go past there. <laughs> well, to try to put some context in it, for Star Wars fans who are familiar, Zeb and his people, who we meet in Rebels, is from Wild Space. And when we get to the Mortis arc, 
which is actually in just a few episodes for us. Morda, the Mortis arc is kind of a, it's like a top five arc for a lot of people. Um, the Mortis arc is on Mortis, and that's in wild space as well. So beyond the Outer Rim. The thing, to circle back to droids enslaved, there is something about the Outer Rim, it feels like to me where when we first meet Luke, and he cannot go into the bar with his droids because they don't serve the, uh, their kind here. We know where we're at in, the, in that world with that phrase. And it feels like this is one step further from that because it's not just droids who are enslaved. Now it's, I guess it's carbon-based life. Uh, I don't know if that makes it worse, but it feels like we're going up in a degree of... Cruelty? Thank you. <laughs> assholery was what was coming to my mind but <laughs> I like cruelty <laughs> don't, don't cut that and put an echo on it when you do that <laughs> assholery <laughs> <laughs> somebody will make that their ringtone <laughs> any any thoughts it doesn't feel like slavery is part of the Coruscant culture in fact it feels like it doesn't feel like the droids are abused in Coruscant to, to my knowledge I think through that a little bit better but yeah they, no they do they feel more like employees in some of those yeah. spaces, like they, I mean, which like anybody who works an hourly job, you still get abused. It's just not being enslaved. <laughs> There's a slight difference. Right. Yeah. You get you get paid. Right. A little. No, but I, no I think that's absolutely. Well, no. <laughs> get sick on your own time. Yeah. Um, I think that's absolutely right, Jeff. I think I think it feels. Coruscant feels more like a developed city like a like a New York or a Chicago or a, or like a like these larger cities that like have learned better at this point whereas yeah the when you get out to the most of the unexplored wild space it's just anything goes we need L9 yelling for robot or for droid liberation <laughs> how can a civilization this advanced still practice slavery it makes them wealthy and powerful at the expense of others before the Huts bought my mother, she was sold in a market just like this. Is it meant to feel like we're learning things about him? Like it, like like whoever wrote this did was the assumption like we're gonna pepper in these little moments where he reveals these tortured, like dark things about himself, or is it just like? This is this is so uncharacteristic and strange. Like it's it like it, these moments don't land for me. I guess oh. for his character. Mm. Do you feel that way, Katie? Um, I mean a little bit. I think at this point, it feels like he's maybe finally opening up a little bit, um, to the other characters with him. Because I don't think these are things that he's said to them before. Even if it is kind of stilted in the way the dialogue's written. What I really do appreciate about these moments is that as soon as he does start talking like this, the music does get darker and starts to reflect more of that like imperial marchy sound, mm. um, which I think is, I mean, obviously like a premonition of what is to come for his character arc. But I noticed that in like most of the episodes in this arc is that every single time he starts talking about his mom or his past as a slave, the music gets pretty, pretty dark and dirty, which I thought was very, very nice. And he does, there are a couple of really great things that he does both in this episode and in the next episode that feel very like, ooh, I've seen that before yep. <laughs> in a different outfit. But, you know, yeah, it, uh, I the, the good call on the music. Like I didn't consciously, I didn't, I wasn't consciously aware of that, but like the minute you said that I thought of those scenes and was like, oh, I felt weird during that. Like I, like I definitely had those feelings. 
Yeah. Good, yeah. good call. For a for mm. like a, a cartoon with themes that have already been created, the music is super smart. They know what they're doing when they're like composing for each of those scenes. The great Kevin Kiner, whose stuff just keeps getting better. Like the Bad Batch stuff is amazing. It's phenomenal. Well, assuming, let's do this. Because, of course, we're doing uh, our own edit and ordering of the Star Wars canon, there is, for us... Not a lot of backstory for Anakin. He comes across, as we've kind of said in past episodes, he feels like a high school quarterback that's real cocky, self-assured, <laughs> has a lot of power. We need some backstory. We need some motive. And this is about the time. You know, we're episode 15 here. So this is a good time to kind of go, all right, well, what's motivating all these folks? So at least for us, we can, we're going to, it's going to, like, if you think it's dark here, it's going to get real dark, uh, soon so because uh, we need to see we need to see some vader in this man mm. and uh there's obviously a little bit of that here but but there's there's times where he for sure uh turns it on well we see a slaver beating a man in the streets get up you useless scug master the bones they're too heavy Tell it to my whip. You don't want to do that. Oh, you dare touch me. Excuse my slave. Friend, she is freshly caught. Mm. What have we here? You were Sargirian armor, but you're not one of us. Who are you? I've come for an audience with the queen. And this Zygerian is Atai Molek. Uh, this is the prime minister of the of the planet, of the city. He's the one that serves underneath the queen. I assume she's the queen of the planet. Oh, no. Is yeah, that, I think hey, so. Does that work I for would you? check out, yeah. Queen, prime minister. Again. The crime. I've done I mean, the research. <laughs> <laughs> all these Star Wars planets, they pretty much have just one city on them, that, you know, and... And that yeah. how that works? <laughs> it's one city, and then like just, just wilderness. Yeah, <laughs> except for except for Coruscant, which goes all the which way around. Just city. <laughs> yeah, just. Uh, this scene was super interesting to me because we, in the in the last episode, Jeff, you and I talked about the Prince of Egypt mm-hmm. in terms of depictions of slavery and people's yep. awareness of slavery, and like this is this is like a scene right out of like somebody is unable to continue working and is about to be killed for their just for the fact that they can't go on anymore and then somebody intervenes and then it becomes a much bigger deal like just a yeah it's a nice moment that shows ahsoka's character true mm-hmm. we keep getting all these really wonderful moments that just show that she's such I, I, it feels derivative to just say a good person but there's just all these moments where it's like this is this is a good person yep compassion that's the word i was looking for a compassionate being I was going to make it as a joke that Ahsoka is Moses here, but she's going to go off into the wilderness here soon, and who knows what she does when she gets back. And she has a robe. <laughs> ah, the thing in the thing. Either Moses or Gandalf. <laughs> it's a combination. I'd watch um, that movie. <laughs> she does have the force. She could probably do some stuff with splitting oceans and the rest. This sounds amazing. <laughs> We're available, Disney. Um, <laughs> that and our other series that we pitched. I think we're, we're <laughs> the last two Jedi. Then you have an invitation. 
We can't just let anyone in to speak with Her Majesty. No invitation, but I do bring news. News the Queen will be eager to hear. I doubt that. You're nothing more than a brigand. I wouldn't say that. Especially when the Queen learns you prevented her from hearing the news about Bruno Denturi. Dun dun dun. <laughs> Who nobody has ever heard of before, nope. but apparently this guy has. <laughs> that such a good bluff, too. Like, you, don't you want to hear the thing that I have to say? You know the thing? The thing that she <laughs> wants to hear? What thing? It would work on me. I'd be like, I want to hear it. <laughs> what, yes. are, what are you talking about? <laughs> and is it about me? <laughs> I don't even know this guy, but it sounds interesting. I got 10 minutes. What's funny is the spy droid immediately flies in and says, Halt, cease hostilities. This man needs to come to the queen. So apparently they've been being watched. Their conversations are being monitored. It checks out. Molek pushes past Anakin Ahsoka and starts leading him to the, the palace. The only thing I had is that each of the characters, and this is common in fiction, they, they each have their foil. Um, so Anakin's going to have the queen, and uh, Obi-Wan will meet his foil later in the episode but this guy the prime minister of this planet is a foil for ahsoka there's a, there's some there's some good action between these two he almost feels like a worm tongue like in lord of the rings a little mm -hmm. bit too like he's 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 got proximity to power which i guess means that he has power but he's just kind of, he like doesn't really do much and kind of seems easily manipulated yeah and and perhaps perhaps more dangerous than than one would assume he is later we cut to the throne room and we meet a new character. This is Queen Mirage Sintel. They come in and the queen says, Make certain all preparations are complete for this evening. And fetch refreshments. My queen, I present Lars Quell. Hmm. So, you are the man who claims to be acquainted with Bruno Denturi? Dun dun dun. Lars Quell is also like, what? <laughs> Where was did Vladimir, you come up with that? Yeah. Was Vladimir draw attention to myself taken? <laughs> like, it's his stripper alias. <laughs> oh, no. Well, because the street that he grew up on and his mom's name is just too sad. <laughs> <laughs> is it? Is it? You no, know, his uncle's not named Lars. Who's the Lars? Isn't there a Lars somewhere? Oh, yeah. Wait, yeah. no. Owen Lars is his, his uncle. Yeah, Owen yeah. Lars. That's it. Oh. It's the last name. Good call. You get the Star Wars gold star. Thank Ahsoka you. doesn't get a medal, but <laughs> it's coming your way, Katie. <laughs> I kid you not, Katie. Uh, Kelly uh, called me today. She had worked out. She's out of town. And she said, would you put a gold star on my chart <laughs> in the workout room? <laughs> she has, she's, on day, she's on day 28. I would literally do the exact same thing. I'd be like, please <laughs> put it on my chart. <laughs> yes, your highness. However, when I spoke with him, he failed to describe your beauty. There it is. James Bond charm coming out. Yeah, but he's like the George Lazenby James Bond. <laughs> but he gives a crap about that. Really? And did Bruno speak of my intense hatred of him? Or did that escape his memory as well? And here the prime minister is functioning now as a henchman. He pulls out a gun. There's a little bit of tension. Anakin kind of pushes the gun to the side. He needed not speak of it, Your Majesty. In fact, 
Bruno Dinturi will not be speaking. Ever again. What do you mean? Bruno Dinturi is dead. By my hand. I enjoyed that. I really did. Like, there's a lot of Anakin stuff that I don't like, but that is some fast thinking. Yeah. Well, yeah, no, he didn't say that, because he's dead. <laughs> <laughs> he's really pulling it out on the fly. I was very impressed. <laughs> <laughs> I actually like this trope of the person you've never met who approaches the king, the queen, whoever it is, uh, and gets access because they killed somebody who is the king or the queen's enemy. This is uh, a major plot point in Black Panther. Najatika comes with Claw's body. And this gets him access. I'm standing in your house, serving justice to a man who stole your vibranium and murdered your people. Justice your king couldn't deliver. Immediate access. And not just access, he can say, oh, and by the way, I'd like to fight for the, for the, for the throne. Um, any other movies that strike you that have that? Like, I killed this person that you hate, and now you will give me an audience. You know what I mean? I, this bent my brain. I've spent most of the day thinking about this. And like when you sent me the question initially, I was like, yeah, yeah, that happens a ton in movies and television. And then I sat there and I, just like having a coffee trying to think about it. And I was like, I, I got nothing. <laughs> yeah, the, the one I came up with that truly the whole movie is about this trope is Scott Pilgrim versus the world. Like the whole movie mm. is about him killing oh. people to get access to a girl. I, and there's like nine of them. Or what, right. Seven? Like he's is it, says, is it seven X's? I think it's... Oh, actually, I couldn't tell you. It's been so long since I've seen that movie. But I, that's the one I thought of. I was on like, sheer that's numbers alone, <laughs> on sheer numbers alone, I think that's as good as it gets. <laughs> <laughs> Happens in Game of Thrones. This is... Uh, yeah, that was, that, was a, that was about all I could think of. I was like, I know it happens in Game of Thrones. Rockstar with leather pants there who's sailing the seven seas. He... Uh, he oh. says he's going to kill... Uh... Greyjoy. Yeah, it's Greyjoy. Oh, that guy sucks. That, like, of all the people that suck, that guy that guy. Like, sucks. he sucks a lot. He yeah. sucks a lot. <laughs> I forgot that. See, he sucks so bad, I can't remember his name. The uh, same, same trope there, though. If you are able to do this for me, then you get access. And that's what's played here. Anakin, then speaking of his victim, says... Here is a slave from his palace. Compensation for my efforts. Unhand me, brigand! And Ahsoka and Anakin look at each other awkwardly because they're, they're terrible actors. <laughs> I, I was going to say, the scene that you don't see from the episode before is the two of them being part of the Jedi Temple's improv night. <laughs> <laughs> Try. I need a... Location and a profession. I heard Dexter's Diner. <laughs> <laughs> well, the queen stands and everybody bows and Anakin forces Ahsoka to bow because she's not going to. This is one of the, the Ahsoka not wanting to be controlled throughout this, uh, this arc. It's done real subtly, but it's routinely there and I appreciate it. You impress me, Lars Quill. She's quite a prize. And to have defeated Bruno Denturi in combat? Well, you must be quite the warrior. Mm. Whoever that is. <laughs> he's getting, he's getting some, some high-end, uh, what do you call that? I mean, advertising. All, yeah. 
This is the Samuel Beckett episode of Star Wars where they just keep like continually talking <laughs> about a guy that doesn't ever show up and doesn't matter. I they said his name and I was like, should I know who that is? <laughs> that, that was the first yeah, episode, first time I watched it too. I was like, wait, who? What? He doesn't. What are they talking about? It's like, oh, I don't actually. No one knows. Yeah, why does everybody act like they know this guy? He doesn't even have a Wikipedia page. Yeah. <laughs> It is like if you're in your early 20s and you go into a party and no one knows why you're there, like you stood a pretty good chance of being like, oh, Josh said I could come. Oh, absolutely. <laughs> People like, oh, yeah, Josh, that sounds like something he would do, but I guess you're here, so. <laughs> I mean, that's, what I, that's how I get into parties. <laughs> I think that's how we met. Yeah. <laughs> so forcing my way so, into your house. Why the hell are you in my house? It's Josh. Josh said I could be oh, here. Oh, oh, yeah, makes yeah. sense. Well, I'm Jeff. <laughs> <laughs> Is that who you thought? <laughs> Don't you dare touch me. Though she will have to be processed, her demeanor leaves much to be desired. What is your price for her? I do like this idea of processing. They need to go back for processing. That seems like a very cold autocratic kind of word you know a less scary way of saying reprogramming is kind of how i took (laughs) it but they reserve that word for the droid slaves Ah, you know they can't they can't mix it up (laughs) we wouldn't want them to think that they were human right (laughs) in george orwell it is uh Mm re-education i really thought you were gonna say georgia for a second (laughs) georgia (laughs) oh that fits but With respect, how can I price the beauty of this slave when I look upon the magnificence of your highness, whose beauty would make the brightest star seem dull by comparison? Just poetic words flowing. Say every every <laughs> poem that every like seventh grade boy wrote. Mm-hmm. <laughs> I do like that. There's a brief moment between Anakin and Ahsoka throughout this whole thing, as as they're sort of like BSing their way through this, where there's like constant moments where they kind of check in together, like, right? Yeah. I mean, <laughs> That works, right? I think we're really selling this. <laughs> yes, and? <laughs> there are a couple of fun Return of the Jedi images here. I think it's Luke coming to Jabba saying, As a token of my goodwill, I present to you a gift. These two droids. What did you say? Both are hardworking and will serve you well. Man, I forgot about that. Like yeah. He essentially like sells them into indentured servitude. Yeah. C-3PO not uh, not aware that that was the plan. <laughs> this can't be. Artu, you're playing the wrong message. <laughs> <laughs> That's a prank. He's like, Luke's just like, I'm just going to mess with him and see what happens. It's like, he's going to blow my cover if I actually Can tell him what the plan is. Can you give a droid a panic attack? Let's find out. <laughs> You just hear the fan get like... (laughs) And if a droid has a panic attack, does that mean he really is a slave? I think that that scene is the best argument for the droids have souls. You see that one droid upside down getting his feet burned and the other one's getting disintegrated. (laughs) Yeah, you can hurt them, shock them, scare them. Like, those are very, very uh, beings with souls attributes. That was the weirdest possible way I could have said that. Too. <laughs> that image of selling, uh, of gifting the droids to Jabba, combined with you know Leia being uh, taken into 
slavery in Jabba's palace. It feels like they're, it's kind of a mashup. It feels like to me here with, with what happens with, with Ahsoka, mm-hmm. which since it got brought up, we could wait till Return of the Jedi for this, but I really, this was a great place just to have a longer philosophical discussion about what is often called uh, the slave Leia trope, or according to some, apparently in recent fandom, it is the Leia hut slayer outfit. <laughs> which I thought was <laughs> awesome. Yeah, that was, I hadn't heard that before. That was badass. So I looked up an article on this. The Guardian described the beginning of Return of the Jedi this way. It says, the sequence with the giant bloated Jabba the Hutt is a not even concealed Orientalist harem fantasy complete with dessert, chuckling, dissipated, bloated Pasha and hapless princess decked out in fetish wear and chains. I was like, you worked on that sentence. That was, that was, the, rest of, was the rest of the article just garbage because they wasted it on that. You were like, I've been waiting to write this sentence for years. Give me That's a reason. Incredible. <laughs> That's funnily enough. Also, I believe the same obituary the Guardian ran for Roger Ailes. <laughs> they weren't wrong. <laughs> well, y'all. We'll have a take on Leia in the beginning of Return of the Jedi and how it applies here. Yeah, what is it? Is it? Am I wrong in thinking that that they're borrowing or at least uh, hinting at stuff that we see in Return of the Jedi with what's going on with Ahsoka here? Oh yeah, totally. They have to be. I think there are so many things to say about Leia in that scene, from her motive to what happens with um, Jabba's death. To obviously, it's one of, it's a, it's an outfit that is known across the world. (laughs) It's infamous. It's infamous. Thank you. COVID brain. That's more than famous. (laughs) What does that mean? Infamous. Oh, Dusty. (laughs) Infamous is is when you're more than famous. This man, El Guapo, is not just famous. He's infamous. Wow. The infamous? Infamous? <laughs> it's infamous. What's, uh, what's a worthy take on this sort of situation in which characters that we love who are heroes in the story are suddenly found? It's not just that they have revealing clothing. It's that there's, there's something more going on here where they are being put into very abusive, apparently, situations in said clothing. Yeah? Is there, is there more to this in terms of just the beginning? This this is, I suppose, what hits me first. There's lots of things that hit me later as I think through it, but that's the initial kind of shock. It's like, oh, person I care about in a vulnerable situation, and you know they're vulnerable be, because of how they're dressed. Yeah. I mean, like, as a little kid, you know, when I, when I watched Star Wars, obviously I thought Leia was the, such a badass, she was just one of my favorite characters for many reasons, but the first time I saw, you know, Return of the Jedi, just like seeing her in such a vulnerable situation, um, and like so, I mean, she doesn't say anything in that scene either, which is kind of feels very out of pocket and almost a little out of character. True. Which just kind of makes you think that she's maybe a lot more emotionally broken than they're letting on. Is hard. It was. It was really hard to see her like that. But I think one of the weirdest things about the outfit, at least for me, is that when I 
first saw it as a kid, I was like, oh, she's wearing this outfit, this very, you know, like a very revealing bikini because bad men who want to take advantage of women put them in these kind of outfits. And so now watching society like revere what she's wearing and think that that's like her iconic costume just feels weird and kind of gross because I don't think that's what they were getting at in the movie was that this is Leia at her peak. Like this is Leia's Mm. bottom, you know, like this is her rock bottom throughout the trilogy. And this is the outfit that everybody's like, this is her iconic look. It just feels really weird. Especially because in the scene before, she's a total badass. She comes in in disguise. Talk about Mm -hmm. another, like, (laughs) dressing up as something else to gain entrance to a thing. She comes in in disguise and threatens to blow up everybody in the building. Yeah. Like, that's... And poor Chewie is meant to be a prisoner again. I just put that connection (laughs) together, too. He cannot catch a break. Um, (laughs) But she's so tough and, and so powerful and and kind of a, like alluring and I don't mean that in like an objectifying way but I mean it in just like a like you're like who is that what are they doing oh my god that's Princess Leia oh my god she's so cool and then yeah to, to just we it's just just icky yeah just feels very uncomfortable that as a society and like at comic cons you know the default Leia costume is the slave Leia, when, like, that's such an awful scene for her. Mm. So I went, I, I think there's an argument to be made on the she's at rock bottom here. I think the best argument for she's at rock bottom is her reaction to Jabba when she assassinates him, uh, when she strangles him to death. That's not done, you know, cleanly. That's done with some passion. That's done with some, some vengeance. Yeah, it doesn't doesn't look like she's doing it like out of necessity, like I have to kill him to get out of here. It looks like she's doing it like I have to kill him because emotionally I he has to die. Yeah. Fisher is <laughs> commenting on the outfit herself. Well, Disney stopped selling toys with Leia in that outfit and she said that the decision was stupid and said, tell the kids that a giant slug captured me and forced me to wear that stupid outfit, and then I killed them because I didn't like it. (laughs) (laughs) That was her take on it. (laughs) She had such a wonderful, complex relationship with that character in general that, like... Truth. It's... uh, She's the best. She also described the outfit as what supermodels wear in the seventh (laughs) ring of hell. (laughs) Yeah. Um, I... So, I want to float this... Because I, I, you can't see Leia's inner life. I choose, I suppose it's a choice, I choose to see her as in control at the beginning of that movie and that even when she is enslaved in an outfit that she hates, she is the one choosing to go there for the sake of her family and specifically for her lover. And that there, there's, a, there's an element of de- self-determination there. Mm. I'd, I'd prefer to see her as an assassin who's doing what it takes to take down one of the most powerful people in the in the in the story. You know, it's like right. Jabba, Jabba the Hutt controls large regions of the galaxy and is essentially the highest boss and gangster uh, underworld in Star Wars. That's it. That will take some doing to to kill that guy and steal your your friend back, your lover back. Am I wrong in thinking that? I. Y- 
I don't know that I agree necessarily that like it, it, it feels like the mission really just is get Han out of there because they were going to do it when everybody was asleep. Mm-hmm. Um, it feels like, you know, she was willing to be the assassin when she comes in and again, threatens to blow up everybody in the palace. But th- this feels like the snag in the plan they didn't see coming. And I feel like more time passes than we really realize. You get the Star Wars scene change wipe, and then later Luke shows up. And I always had the vibe that this was like some time later. Right. Like, I don't think that the goal of the mission was to rescue Han and kill Jabba. I think it was rescue Han, and then killing Jabba was a footnote that happened because she was like, this has to happen now. You know, after what he's done to me at this point, I now have a personal vendetta against him. To, to just explore this, because I, I I really wanted to have this conversation, not because I have any fixed answers, but because I want to get my head around the beginning of that movie in part. But Luke has a plan later. Lando's there. R2's got his lightsaber. He apparently knows that he's going to eventually get out, you know, on that on that ship in the Sarlacc pit because cause they're ready to go. I wonder if there's not layers. If this doesn't work, then this will mm-hmm. happen. If this doesn't work, then this will happen. Also, it's fiction, and they're just making stuff up as they go, to quote another George Lucas property. <laughs> I, I think the characters are also making stuff up as they go, honestly. I, like, I, like, I think yeah. they thought this first part of the plan was going to work, and then it didn't, and then they had to sort of brainstorm and put together the third part of the plan, which is Luke showing up. Right. Which I think, again, like, they don't expect the Rancor pit. They don't expect... Oh, I, I think it's just like... like like Jabba the Hutt is that good of a gangster, is that good of a criminal. He's the Godfather. Like he he's able to throw them these curveballs that they constantly have to adapt to. Right. Like their heist just I mean, as any good heist movie does, the, it doesn't go right the first time. There's just they have to keep coming up with things to eventually defeat the gangster. Yeah. I suppose there's the my idealistic side of wanting to see her going to the ultimate ends to to achieve the goal is something like this is an epic assassin move like she's showing her quality this is legend i'm able to infiltrate get close to and execute this horrid terrible no good very bad person (laughs) defended by boba fett no less you know (laughs) (laughs) and a very large rancor yeah i still don't know you're not buying my i'm not i'm not sorry no i think because i think it's not like an assassin kill when she finally gets rid of him. It is like a dirt, like, I mean, I was about to say, yeah. do you know how hard it is to strangle somebody? To be clear, <laughs> I do not. <laughs> I, do, I don't. <laughs> oh, God. Um, no, like, I, I feel like if you were to try to murder somebody, their natural instinct would be to fight you back, especially if you're going to strangle them. Yeah, and it it just feels like uh, seizing the opportunity. Yeah, I second that. I think also like I keep going back to the fact that she just doesn't speak in that scene at all. I think mm-hmm. that you know if this were a part of her plan, knowing Leia's character from the get go, she's just kind of snarky and you know like has one liners, and I feel like she would be acting a little bit more confident if she knew that this was all a part of some plan that was leading somewhere. Yeah, okay. Because I mean she. The first two movies, she suffers no fools. Mm-hmm. True. Well, how does that apply here? She would not put herself in that position. I, I don't know that that's a question that I can answer. 
It seems like her, she obviously gets Han out of the carbonite, and so that's successful. She doesn't seem like, she, it, it doesn't feel like they have a very good plan for getting out of there. She's banging her head against wind chimes. She's <laughs> <laughs> just not very sneaky. That She pulls the, what, the carbonite, what do you call those things? The carbonite slab. Oh, and it just drops onto yeah. the floor. Yeah. It's loud, <laughs> too. It's a pretty noisy escape plan. <laughs> Everybody's snoring. Yeah. <laughs> Nobody sees. That's yeah. That's uh, not. I I think th- I think they come in real cocky, and I think that's what it is. Like, how hard mm-hmm. can this be? These are a bunch of drunks and gangsters <laughs> and and people who are just overindulging in whatever. <laughs> how how and do you know who we are? There's two movies about us. <laughs> how hard yeah, is I'm... it going to be to get one guy out of a thing? And I and I think and they did quite well. They did. They did. <laughs> Well, there you go. Well, maybe put a pin in this, and uh, you know we're we're gonna we're gonna hit Return of the Jedi here, and it's three or so years. We'll we'll get to it. So that was no joke, unfortunately, but or fortunately, if you like the podcast. Uh, the <laughs> well, how does this scene in Return of the Jedi then influence the the use of Ahsoka here? Uh, are you seeing? Do you see a, a worthy overlaps worth talking about? Feels like both outfits, both the one that Carrie, that Princess Leia ends up in, and both the one that Ahsoka end up in, are are intentionally demeaning. Yeah, like dehumanizing. I don't know if Ahsoka's is you know as demeaning as um, Princess Leia's is, just because we see Ahsoka a lot in you know showing her midriff, like that just feels like that's kind of her natural look. Is like sure, you know, in combat ready clothes. But I think what is does feel kind of out of character for her is that it's a very bright a very bright color but also just like less combat ready clothing yeah like it's very like drapey and loose and long and i wonder if it's i mean obviously it's less sexualized a because it's a children's show and a cartoon and she's an alien but i wonder if that's also because they're presenting (laughs) her to a queen rather than to you know a male gangster I think both costumes leave both characters exposed, obviously in mm-hmm. Leia's case in a very real way, but but like <laughs> you said, Katie, and, and she's sort of exposed in the sense like you can't probably do too much in terms of like she's a very acrobatic character, you know. Yeah. It it just sort of feels like it, it it leaves both characters vulnerable in two very different ways. I suppose all the characters kind of take on the outer garb of people that they very much are not. Anakin as a slaver is the opposite in some ways, I suppose, of who he wants to be, yeah. Kenobi is brought down. Her outfit, just to talk about Ahsoka's outfit, it's again kind of a rhyme with a Lucas property. It feels like the outfit that Katie Capshaw is wearing in Temple of Doom. Isn't that her name? What's her name? Oh, yeah, Kate. Spielberg's wife. Yeah. Yeah, Kate Capshaw, you're right. It has that element. It's like it's it's the dress clothes for it, but I love the idea that functionally this is not isn't who she is she's she's a warrior who dresses for movement and activity and this is placing her in a different way well but in in temple of doom she is a showgirl she or a or a a dancer well there you go well but that's uh i think she shows up in temple of doom she shows she shows up at dinner and she wants to impress the maharaja isn't that right that was nicole kidman in moulin rouge no i know it but in in the in this in the the Ten-year-old in, in Indiana Jones also the. You look beautiful. I think the Maharaja is swimming in blue. Maybe 
wasn't such a bad idea coming here after all. You look like a princess. I, I've seen that one twice. Okay. I ah, hate that movie. It's been so long since I've seen ah. Indiana Jones. Okay, it doesn't matter. Um, we can cut that. The, um, no, leave it in. I want people to know that I hate it. <laughs> <laughs> we tried doing a rewatch of all of them, and we got through the first one, and I was like, I don't think I'd like this. I think rewatching it would ruin some of my childhood. Let's not do that. <laughs> of of Je- uh, in, Jedi. Of, of Indiana Re- Jones. Arc? Yeah. Really? Rage's Lost Ark, and I was like, I don't like this. Can w- Because? Well, I was like, I don't like the idea of like white men going into native lands to steal native artifacts and being like did something recently happen to make you think that (laughs) oh you know just everything (laughs) museum should return property i watch scenes from the last crusade just because i i there's some great moments in that but i don't think i've actually oh yeah no like it's fun i was like oh man like this combat's fun like it's so ridiculous but I don't think I really like this movie at all. <laughs> Here was one of the crossovers for me is that Leia, if we if we go with the Leia's intentionally going to be enslaved for the sake of saving her lover, Ahsoka is intentionally being enslaved to save her people. And there might be, like if you're looking for motive here, there is a great cost to herself, even though she she doesn't really have connection with her people. Heroic, praiseworthy element to this character. I but I but the the beginning of this episode makes it sound like it was predecided for her that this is what she was going to be doing though not like oh, a, that's true. you know what I'm going to put myself in this situation mm. yeah. in order to free my people it's 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 as Katie said it's white yeah. men going this is what we've decided you're going to do but I feel like she at least had some sort of autonomy in deciding what she wore you know if. Sure. If they were on the ship, as whereas with Leia, I feel like that was very forced upon her. True. But I mean, I'm sure at least like Ahsoka like probably got to dress herself and pick out what garments fit. Whereas with Leia, I'm like, who but knows? But you know, Anakin had a lot of opinions. <laughs> <laughs> those shoes just don't go with those pants. She's like, what do you know? You wear the same thing every day. Every day. Well, to circle back actually to the Moses image, she is finding solidarity with her people enslaved. And I I wouldn't have put that together, but that's exactly what it is. She's been estranged from her people, and yet here she's with her people. That's a very Moses image of Moses is a Jewish man who is not raised with his people, but then finds himself with his people and then becomes, you know, an instrument of salvation, which hopefully in the next episode, that's what happens, you know? Mm-hmm. And that scene with Charlton Heston in the green ball gown <laughs> is just lovely. Just, just can't, can't overemphasize how amazing yeah. he looks. Shockingly great legs. <laughs> yes. <laughs> well, after complimenting her, the queen says, Lars Quell, you flattered me. No, your majesty. However... This may be my least favorite scene in the binge, just to, to earmark it, that Anakin whispering into her ear and her saying, Lars, stop it. Stop it. You are a bold one, aren't you? You know what he's doing. He's doing his I like sand monologue. I hate sand <laughs> monologue. It works every time. Every it's time. one move. Guess what it's... I can do with pears? <laughs> <laughs> This is my seducer monologue. Because I don't, they're going to add it in in post. (laughs) (laughs) It's 
not even a whisper. It's just it's like a it's like a whimper that like I don't like saying like but like him and him and his son just real whiny. <laughs> well, apparently it works because he says my reputation precedes me. Then perhaps we can find a way to put a price on your slave. Come, walk with me. <laughs> After having sweet nothings whispered in your ears, let's let's talk about selling people. <laughs> I have no idea what you would say to make a queen who makes a living selling human beings blush, but it, he had to go some places there. <laughs> <laughs> anyway, well, we cut to a holding area of enslaved people, and one of the guards arrives on a flying lizard called a Brizak. This is the only time that they're pictured in Star Wars, but they're fun. And we see a hut with a monocle. And this is Gorga Arpo. It's the Hut clan accountant. He is Jabba's nephew, and we saw him briefly in The Lost Ones, serving the Pike Syndicate. Love when huts show up in the, in the Clone Wars. Gotta have an accountant. <laughs> there's, there's like <laughs> ten of them, and they're all kind of different. One of them have, has a terrible southern accent, but aside I from that. I swear to God. Was it, is that Zero the Hut? Zero. It's like if Tennessee William if Tennessee Williams wrote a Star Wars character. <laughs> but this guy's fun and he speaks Hutties and just grunts and hits Obi-Wan who is dressed like like a, all good accountants. Right. <laughs> well, he is that underworld gangster type. It is the case though that when he shows up, every it makes everything feel a little bit more nefarious. Not that you didn't already realize. Maybe it's more systematic. It's like it's not just this planet, but that there's a whole, there's a bigger operation mm. at work here. Yeah, it's it's uh, it's endemic. The the problems that face the the outer parts of the galaxy, slavery is endemic. Boom. <laughs> well, he bangs into a masked Kenobi and complains about the quality of the enslaved people. That's actually what he says in Hutese. And uh, Rex and Obi-Wan are trying to find the Tragutans. And Rex sees something, says to Obi-Wan, Sir, take a look at this. Obi-Wan then jumps down into the holding pen. He sees the governor. Governor Roshti. No. Oh, no. Another uh, New Hope kind of image there. Luke Skywalker runs into Leia's cell. He's dressed up like a stormtrooper. Here, Obi-Wan runs into Rashti's cell. He's dressed up like a Zargarian. Rashti apparently doesn't have quite the calm demeanor of Leia, though. Yeah, <laughs> yeah she, she keeps it together. He's looking quite abused. No. Oh, Governor, no, no. I'm a friend, a Jedi, here to help. Where are your people? There. There. He like passes out. Obi Wan picks him up. He he launches like Superman. He's got he jumps like thirty feet with this man on his shoulder. Sir, did you find out where the others are? Not yet. We've got to get him out of here. Again, it <clears throat> we talked about with Return of the Jedi, or at least a, a, a two of us did. It feels like it feels like there's not a ton of a plan, like some sort of overconfidence or or misjudgment happening, and that's kind of what I see here, like. What's the plan? I'm gonna jump in this hole, grab this guy, and jump out. Yeah, yeah. That's oh, great. Yeah. Now your plan needs a middle and an end. I mean, his plan was like, okay, find out where they all are, and he's like, I found one, so we're doing well. <laughs> we're well on our <laughs> way. Uh. <laughs> I think about 
a hundred or so more. <laughs> there may be something of a plan that we see in the next episode, but Skywalker in, in this episode is going to be asking about where the 50,000 people are, slaves. That, and, and, but I think you're right. It's why take just this guy and put yourself in danger. Uh, Obi-Wan could probably do something better than simply grabbing the leader. It's not really, why would, why would he matter? Yeah, no, I know it, it, it just feels like I, it, to me, it feels to, to like step out of talking about the episode and just sort of think critically, I guess, about the creation of the episode. It just sort of feels like they went, we started, we know where they have to get, I guess let's just get them there. No, I mean, it's probably against Obi-Wan's like moral code to like find him and leave him there, you know? And I think that's probably the whole, the whole point of that little plot point there. I think that is right. That is what the next line implies, because Rex is concerned about everybody, and he says, Sir, did you find out where the others are? Not yet. We've got to get him out of here. I think that is what's going on. He's compassionate for this, this person. Which feels like we we keep talking about in this show, we keep talking about how Obi-Wan Kenobi has these weird moments of not following the Jedi Order, even though he insists that he does follow the Jedi. It's like, what, <laughs> a, what a sort of compassion and almost emotionally driven decision mm. for mm. a guy who claims not to do that. <laughs> yeah, this, there you go. Obi-Wan sees that brezek on the ledge above him and again superman's up again to <laughs> to land on it he chucks a guard over the, the side of the, the wall rides off on this flying lizard drops down gets roshti and rex they're on the guards see him and they all rush in and this chase ensues and the sniper fires and he hits kenobi and roshti who both fall off the brezek but rex continues on this is another one of those tough ones where it's like we're just describing a lot of action and it's hard to expound upon it. Like that is, mm-hmm. yep. that is, that is. I mean, the one thing I will say that is sort of in this show and I guess in Star Wars, kind of the Obi Wan Kenobi thing. Like, jump on the big creature. Like he does. Yeah, that's, that's a lot of what he does in the mm-hmm. prequel films and of in it. this show. Yeah, <laughs> he's a very predictable man. He's just trying to practice. He's like, maybe one day I won't fall <laughs> off. You know. <laughs> Hang on to the thing. (laughs) Both hands. He's like, it'll work at some point if I just keep trying. (laughs) But alas, it did not. (laughs) It's hard to ride on a lizard. Yeah. Although that dragon queen, she's she's got that going. We cut to a high roof deck overlooking the city. Queen says, Slavery is a natural order of things. The weak deserve nothing more than to kneel before the strong, bound to our service. I will need men with your talents to spread our ways across the galaxy. Because apparently Anakin is such a sweet-tongued individual. He's going <laughs> to... Did you say sand-tongued? Sand. <laughs> All the while, I like this as a setup. At least she is justifying to herself that her power is legitimate. And that what she's doing, which I imagine she knows is entirely immoral in terms of some of the stuff that she says in the next episode. But you're you're talking yourself up. This isn't as bad as perhaps I believe. Am I wrong there? Yeah, I think she's talking herself into a moral code. At least like some form of Darwinism where she's like, 
you know, the strong survive. Natural order of things. There it yeah. is. And, and it feels like, yeah, what we're doing is bad, but isn't the world sort of a bad, evil place? And like, we got to carve out ours before, you know, we could easily be in the position that all these other people in. So, you know, mm -hmm. this is just kind of what we got to do to the Darwinism thing, like to, to survive, to adapt and survive. She is saying this to Anakin, and Anakin eventually is going to become consumed with the power of the dark side. There is something about the, I don't know if this is tempting to Anakin in this moment, but having suffered at the hands of others, I imagine he does know the value of power in not himself suffering anymore in the future, mm -hmm. something like that. Very different, I think, than slavery, but there's, I don't know, there's a pitch here. All the while, there's an, uh, uh, one of the servants is pulling out an assassin's blade. Comes over, tries to kill the queen. Did Anakin stop her? I d I've already forgotten who stopped yeah, her. Yeah, Anakin stops her. Let me go! You dare raise a hand against your master? Clearly, you require further processing. No! I won't go back there! Wait! Stop! This is a powerful scene in some parts. Like the, the person who's willing to, again, there's an assassination, uh, try to get in in order to kill the monster. Uh, not that this backs up my, my Leia uh, interpretation, but the assassin won't go back. She gets to the edge of the deck and, and pitches herself off and plummets to her death. Anakin it tries to stop her. It okay. is, <clears throat> just to make a just to just to make another connection to Return of the Jedi, though, not necessarily the assassination attempt, but the enslaved person kind of saying, "I've had enough of this, and mm -hmm. I'm going to stand up for myself." That happens mm -hmm. at Jabba's palace. There is oh, the there the slave right. the enslaved woman who who I don't know the Twi'lek woman. I don't know what her name is, but who who basically yeah, is like i've away. had enough of this i'm out of here and is trying to to pull herself free that sort of step towards shirking off the chains of oppression that that happens to yeah. again to uh, to no avail i was surprised at how much they showed of this woman jumping off of the roof i'm so used yeah. to like in like animated shows they're like all oh, the person fell to their death and they just fell into the darkness and that's where they went Mm -hmm. But this one, they like showed her jumping, falling, and then at the bottom of the building, dead. And I was yeah. like, oh, oh, that's what we're doing. That's how we're doing this right oh, now. Oh, God, there she is. Yeah. I was like, ah, oh, all right. Okay. There's another scene, which we'll talk about in a minute, of people falling, which has that same kind of feel. Mm -hmm. And yeah, it gets you. Yeah, it's pretty, it's for a kid show. I, I, I too, like, like Katie said, I too was like, oh, 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 God. Yeah. Just like had like a had a very visceral visceral reaction. Yes. Yeah. I'm all for it. The kids can can have nightmares. Give me <laughs> give me more. <laughs> Look, they gotta learn. The world is a terrible place. <laughs> oh no. It's a truly, truly awful place. Well the queen spins this. Such a waste. But perhaps she was more trouble than she's worth. But you, Lars. You are proving quite resourceful. <sighs> Very well. I will pay your price for this slave girl. 
It seems I am <laughs> in need of a new servant. She is my gift to you, Your Highness. You are a man of many surprises. It pleases me. Just another, like, talk about dehumanizing. Like, mm. it doesn't matter that that just happened. Like, enslaved people are a renewable resource in, yeah. in their world. Well, and I mean, this is just goes back to that little proverb at the beginning of the enslaved become the slave. Like, she's a slave to the slave labor. Like, she needs mm -hmm. it. And not only that, but a slave to the power it gives her. You know, like, the, it's just such a wild picture of Ooh. that. Yeah, that's a good way. To, that's a good way to elevate that image that hit me here. It's similar Return of the Jedi language. It's the it's the robot in the dungeon of Jabba's palace saying, "You know, he's like the HR department for Jabba. It's splendid. We've been without an interpreter since our master got angry with our last protocol droid and disintegrated him." Disintegrated. <laughs> it's like, oh, okay, Ahsoka can replace. In the same way C-3PO can replace. <laughs> Which is just, again, the terror. Yeah. I was going to say that comes across C-3PO's face, but that doesn't happen because it doesn't move. But like <laughs> the the <laughs> vocal performance of Anthony Daniels is just, I guess, and physical because he's in that yeah. refrigerator. Uh, like just like he's so scared. Because he's alive. Because he's alive. Because <laughs> droids deserve rights. This, ah, yes. Donate today. There, ne there needs to be a, like, we are the world style song for uh, androids and droid characters <laughs> across science fiction. Droid liberation! <laughs> just saying. I, I'm not going to write it because I can't, but I just want that to be I'll get thing. on that. They do a movie about that. I think it's called The Terminator, something like that. Yeah, yeah. That was a musical, right? Yeah. There's mm -hmm. some tap dancing in there. Yeah, I'll be back. With Jazz a bunch hands. Of, like, dance steps. I wish you to be my guest at the slave auction and to sit at my side. Just don't know. <laughs> Everybody wants in. It's Anakin takes her hand, and Ahsoka is looking frustrated, kind of suspicious. I think they do a lot with Ahsoka's eyes here, because like Leia, as you were saying, Katie, she's not really talking that much unless it's like an outburst of, this is my space. Mm -hmm. Well, And that's the thing I really like, and the difference between Ahsoka in this scene and, and, and Princess Leia in that palace scene with Jabba, she does, Leia doesn't talk. Like the character is the character is not the character that we're used to seeing. Whereas this is still Ahsoka. She's yeah. still saying, "Get your hands off me!" Like, yeah. no, no, you're not gonna make like the the her ownership of her own space. This is this is like I keep saying throughout this show how a t a, uh, the Clone Wars makes up for the sins of of the prequel films, but also some of the things from the original films. And I think this is the slave Leia scene done the right way. Mm -hmm. Yeah, yeah. One of the things that I think they want to do with Ahsoka that they perhaps chose not to do with Leia with her outburst is they they know that they have a, a responsibility to not normalize abusing 
young women in this way and they want to show when this happens is what you need to do mm-hmm. because here's what the hero does and i thought that they did that while keeping she's totally her character i don't think it takes anything away they're saying this is this is how you behave when people are are um are, phys- are f- physically aggressive with you yeah absolutely we cut down to the dungeon we hear the sound of a man being tortured and a Thai Molek says, Well, who is he? He hasn't talked, but I'll loosen his tongue. Why would a slaver try to rescue a slave from the palace? It's suicide. Wait. I know you from the hologram. I never forget a Jedi. And like cracks his face back into place too. <laughs> like, yeah. Oh, I miss this. Tell yeah, me, there's like a like you hear him like Obi Wan Kenobi is getting his face beat in, and when he he grabs him and kind of does like a jerking motion, and you hear like a like he like oh. almost like he pops his jaw back into place. Yeah. I miss that. I'll have, to, I'll have to go back for the jaw popping. Hey, there was another thing that, like, I had an audible reaction of just like, oh! <laughs> it was a grimace. It was like, oh. Yeah, poor Obi Wan. Anything with the face in cracking, I generally am not, not a fan. <laughs> nope. We cut to a large arena. Got some gladiator going on here. Actually, Game of Thrones again. Although this, I think this is pre-Game of Thrones. Game of Thrones is stealing from uh, from the Clone Wars again. Or or history. Or, <laughs> I guess that's right. Highness, Zygerians. Yes, from a thousand worlds. Our auction begins with slaves of unmatched quality and awesome quantity. I give you Tagrota from the Kira system. Oh no. This handsome sample represents a lot of numbering. No less than 50,000 beings. Note the compliance. Virtually untrained in combat. There will be no rebellion from these slaves. So. Where do you keep 50,000 slaves like the people of Kiros? Like, just super casually. Where exactly do you keep the most planet, and how would I get them out? Yeah, just making casual conversation. Just wandering. Sort of nearby? <laughs> if I was I'm, to walk down the hall. This is a nice house. If you were to keep cash in it, where would you put it? <laughs> I don't know where. <laughs> Any, like, security cameras or... <laughs> Gay big dogs. Hypothetically. <laughs> Keep weapons in the home. It appears that he's tried, he thinks that he's established trust and is doing some detective work. Your Majesty, I have urgent news. All will be revealed in time. Before we begin the auction, I would welcome a most special guest, Obi-Wan Kenobi, Jedi Knight. The Jedi are not so tough. <laughs> it's just 
That's what I like yell. A mob of a thousand people <laughs> with right. one guy in chains. Oh, I guess uh, not that tough after all, are you? <laughs> no, but. My friends, my good friends, do not fear the Jedi. They are no different from others we have forced into submission, for they have forsaken their ideals to serve a corrupt Senate. Got some uh, separatist propaganda there. Every Jedi has become a slave to the Republic. The Jedi Order is weak, and we will help break it. She grabs a Zagruton whip and holds it up to Anakin, who takes it while Ahsoka is looking on. It says, Teach the Jedi his place. Which it's interesting, like, at, at this point, you don't really know, but breaking down the Jedi Order in general seems like a bizarre thing for this woman to be super interested in. Yeah. Like, I mean, I guess there could be like a, you could shut us down and we don't like you, but this whole thing of, it just, it, it just feels a little bit like what this is. So this is like a side passion project for you or <laughs> yeah. What's why? I suppose in the last episode, the Dars Dinar said that the Jedi were the ones who had really stamped out their, their business of trading people. And maybe, maybe there's something in that. I mean, it's kind of like the sort of story that the North Korean government tells their people that's almost exclusively about how they repelled the West, you know, in the 50s. And mm. it's in like, <laughs> you're like, oh, yeah, I guess that that would be how you see the world. And you're trying to get back at us today with your nuclear program. OK, that's where we're at, <laughs> you know. Yeah, but I thought I thought that was I mean, I was told. The guy, the guy we had in charge, we, like we a, took like, care of that. Yeah, I was told everything was good. It's not a problem. Yeah, best friends. <laughs> See that? I don't, that I have no trouble believing, but I don't believe that. The thing that went through my mind was Qui Gon uh, in the first episode. He doesn't. He says something to the extent of like, "I didn't come here to free slaves," as though he kind of has a priority, a set of priorities as well, in eliminating slavery and. The Republic, or it wasn't like top, top line. Well, well, I mean, shoot, there's the difference between he and Obi Wan in oh, this yeah. episode. Is that Obi Wan's like? I gotta, I have compassion for the people, and Qui Gon's like, oh nope, I'm sticking to my singular mission. Yeah. I'm looking for some ship parts. Right. <laughs> it's like I have places to be. He Qui Gon Jinn is a very like tunnel vision guy. I mean, it mm -hmm. very much is like, look, we gotta get this. Set. What what is what specific piece are they looking for for the Naboo? ship i'm trying to to hear the flying blue dude Same. in my head <laughs> Same. say nobody else has a hyperdrive i'll tell you that like, <laughs> you know, he's got his brooklyn accent on his right. like his bad shylock <laughs> right well it doesn't matter but it, it, yeah. it just seems like he's so tunnel visioned that character of, of we're looking for this and then suddenly once it's like i think this kid might be jesus that's all he <laughs> thinks about <laughs> He's like, screw the rest of it. <laughs> Wait a second. Not in, I didn't show up to free slaves, except this one. <laughs> except this one kid. Jesus had a high M count. I want yeah. that as a shirt. <laughs> <laughs> Just picture Jesus' face with the Metachlorian reader in front of him. <laughs> Got the thumbs up. Um, I do like this in terms of Anakin walks out 
All the crowd is chanting at him. There's a lot of whip the Jedi going on, which it's kind of this bloodlust in this crowd. The shot is, uh, you know, kind of an upshot. You see Obi-Wan kneeling, and behind him, Anakin comes into frame, and Anakin just looks down, and he says, Looks like I have to rescue you again, old man. <laughs> it's again, he's good at, at icebreakers, at tension breakers. Of okay, That, that like, kind of cause more tension. <laughs> it's like when a kid is sarcastic like their sar- their like jokes never really like ease the tension in the room it's like this is not an appropriate moment to be like being a smart ass <laughs> it worked for me i've heard i knew you'd have a backup plan this by the way this is kind of a confession because anakin's plan was actually going just fine i think he's he's on point so far it was obi-wan mm-hmm. he failed Prove to me you are a slaver. Swing that whip, or die beside you. Those are some lousy options. I I like that (laughs) line also. I liked that one too. Mm -hmm. Any, by the way, any uh, any films scenes that come to mind where you know, like somebody, a hero is required to kill a friend, or you know, to prove that they're loyal. This is how Harry Potter works, doesn't it? Doesn't uh. Um, doesn't Snape have to kill Dumbledore? Yes. Spoiler, spoiler for that. I haven't read the book, but just I saw a meme the other day, and I think that's what it's it was not about. A, it's yeah. not a spoiler. <laughs> if you don't know that yet, you're years hey Jeff, behind. Do you know <laughs> what Rosebud is? <laughs> it's a sled, yeah. It's a sled. Yeah, there you go. <laughs> but that would be one. I mean, and that actually, he has to go through with that, yeah? Yeah. Yeah. And it's it's heartbreaking. Oh, it's so sad. Well, there you go. See, well, you didn't that I wasn't sold the way you said that. Like, oh yeah, it's so sad. No, it's, it's, it's really it's, it's really so it's sad. It's sad. <laughs> you are not being emotional enough, Katie. <laughs> I don't care enough, I guess. <laughs> There's a scene in the at the beginning of a Eastwood film in the Line of Fire in which uh, oh, that's a good one. He's trying to infiltrate a a ring of folks who are producing face fake money. What do you call it? Counterfeiters. Mm-hmm. And one of the lead counterfeiters holds him, uh, gives him a gun. He says, I need you to shoot the guy who's actually his partner. And Eastwood goes over with the gun, shoots him right in the head, but there's no bullets in the gun. And, and it's, it has a, it's a very tense moment, but that's why this, this scene, it kind of, same kind of trope there. I mean, you knew the, the gun was empty, right? I mean, you knew from, from the weight of the gun that the, the chamber was empty. Am I right? Well, there could have been one bullet. Oh, my God. Yeah, I feel like there's very few where they go through with it. I think like there's so many where, like, one person's being held, like, hostage. And they're like, let him kill me, and, like, you continue the mission. Yeah. Or whatever. Like, I feel like that happens in every Mission Impossible. Like, yeah. Simon Pegg has almost died so many times. <laughs> <laughs> And this I is have, from getting lost walking his dogs on Instagram live. <laughs> I have the image of the guy of, of two people. I think this is in Robin Hood, the Costner one, where they're going to get Ugh. beheaded. And like, you know, the guy go, gets up with the axe. And then, I mean, that's not a loyalty test. That's somebody disguised as a as an executionist. What do you call those? Executor? Hey. Executioner. Executioner. Execu- COVID. <laughs> I was uh, just, it's, it's, it's legit. 
I, for um, whatever reason, I'm thinking of just based off of what Katie was saying too. Like I'm thinking of the scene in Batman Forever where the Riddler has both Nicole Kidman. That, no, no, that, and, that uh, movie doesn't exist either. No, Batman for <laughs> Batman Forever is okay. Nope. Batman no, and Robin God. is garbage. You're you're, you're not going to get invited back, Katie. I need a partner for a Star Wars <laughs> podcast. <laughs> I I so despise <laughs> I so despise I so despise Batman Forever. It's like it's hold on. You dislike Batman Forever? Do you? It, what about Batman and Robin? The Batman Forever is the f- is is Batman and Robin, isn't it? Or no, the Batman. It's the fourth one. It's the sh- no the Batman Forever one. is Batman Forever. Batman and Robin is Batman and Robin. Schwarzenegger is in the fourth one. Yeah, it's yeah, and that's Batman and Robin. Is it? Yeah. Batman Forever is Batman 3? Yeah. With Tommy Lee Jones and Jim Carrey. And Nicole okay. Kidman. Okay, that one's fine. <laughs> Thank you. <laughs> Batman and Robin great. is bat nipples and, and Schwarzenegger making puns. Yeah. That was one I meant. Okay. That one's terrible. Again, COVID. Well, then we have another Return of the Jedi callback. And Rex is standing there like Lando Calrissian with the helmet on. We can see his face behind the mask. And they nod. And Ahsoka looks down ready, just like Leia. Anakin, just like Luke. Salutes R2. You leave me no choice, Highness. Two lightsabers shoot out of R2's head, which he had been carrying the whole time. They ignite in their arena. Anakin chucks one to Obi-Wan. They take down the guards. Rex starts firing at snipers on the side. And we're rolling. Good times here. <laughs> we're having fun. Friends. No, Yay. it is. The, the whole time I watched this, I just kept thinking about it. I'm like, this, God, this is like beat for beat Return of the Jedi. There it is. The Skywalker family has one playbook. <laughs> guards, subdue them. Ahsoka flips the Prime Minister on his back, who <laughs> routinely is, feel, is, you know, appearing very weak uh, when uh, in the presence of Ahsoka. Again, just like the crown. <laughs> Such a Harold Wilson. <laughs> R2 throws her a lightsaber, and Rex is then knocked down into the arena. There's lots of cross-cutting here, and Anakin That's a hell up. of a fall, too. Like, that, that was right? another moment where I was like, ugh. <laughs> oh. Ahsoka, the queen! Looks like your slave empire is finished. Again. Ahsoka knows the history of the Jedi. Uh, but uh, but also, like, perhaps a bit ahead. Yeah. Like, you want to talk about putting the cart ahead of the horse. Yeah. <laughs> is it? Like, like, your slave, it's over? Mm. Okay. Get that thing out of my face, you little skug. Skug is their word here. It's used a handful of times. S-K-U-G. Skug. But she hits a button and sends a shock into Ahsoka. It's that blue electricity that always apparently is able to get the Jedi. She drops her saber. Jedi battle 10 guards with electro whips in the arena at the same time. So again, it's kind of back and forth and back and forth. And apparently these whips can fight with lightsabers and the two Jedi are overcome. Anakin specifically gets hit with five whips they're ensnaring his arms and throat the queen however impressed by this whole thing such determination and there we go looks like they were gonna win not so fast moving the plot along 
missed it by that much. <laughs> the queen, this queen is a super interesting character. Yeah, let's talk about it. Like my, my first, like when you first see her, it's like, oh, I know who this character is mm-hmm. and I know what this is going to be. But, but they're just, they're like these few little moments in this episode and certainly in the next episode yeah, where, where you see some kind of dimensions and depth from her that I didn't expect there to be. Yeah, I agree. Mm. She's kind of hard to pin down. She's really interesting. <laughs> At the end of this episode, she comes across as very emotionally needy. Like, like she really wants to be loved by somebody and this, this guy was going to be it. And then he's not who she thought he was. And then she's like, well, I'll play a different card then. I'll make you love me. Mm. Almost as if he could potentially be her ticket to freedom. Yeah. It's kind of, it was kind of my take both times. Yeah. There you go. That will be something. She says you used to be a slave at the end. Maybe he knows how to escape slavery. Mm. This is something that I don't know if he caught this in our other episodes, Katie, but one of I, I, I think the big theme in Star Wars is, you know, is a man being emancipated. Yeah. It's all about Vader escaping from slavery that, and how that happens. And, and that may, this might just be, you know, that rhyme, that little microcosm. There's lots of Vader language here at the end. Cut back to the throne room. You destroyed my auction and frightened my customers. Count Dooku and half my kingdom are demanding your death. Love this image. The queen has power, is speaking over this once unconscious Anakin. He sits up, force chokes her, lifts her up, pulls her to himself. I think this is the first time that we've seen Anakin use the dark side of the force in the binge. Mm-hmm. But that's what that's one thing that is noted a handful of places in kind of Star Wars literature is that when you force choke somebody, that's not a light side, you know, action. It's like yeah. blue lightning. When you force choke somebody, you're you're going. It's coming out of a place of anger and fear. Mm-hmm. It's like the equivalent of using an unforgivable curse in Harry Potter. It's like you just yeah. you just crucio somebody. Yeah. You should have listened to them. My friends, where are they? Continue to misbehave, and they die. (coughs) A most curious Jedi who cares more about his friends than his own mission. Hero, general, (laughs) and now my servant. I will not serve you. (laughs) Your heart is not in your words. You will stand beside me. A testament to my power. Here. My bodyguard will need a weapon. (laughs) Which is a super interesting observation, knowing what we know about what happens to Anakin. Like, Mm -hmm. yeah, well... Because that's what happens to him. Like he, yeah. like even though he thinks that he's all of these things, he's not. Like he, he just he wants to belong to something so badly that he he goes along with anybody who seems like they might be able to provide him with that like sense of belonging and stability. So it's like I think he is probably a little tempted by this lady because we we know what he does yep. in, at at the quote end of his story as yeah. Anakin. 
Well, I'm sure he is tempted, especially because her offer is all about the protection of his friends. And, like, that's his, you know, again, his entire motivation is just protecting the people he cares about. Um, because he follows his heart, which, you know, Jedis are not supposed to do. Um, makes a pretty poor Jedi in that aspect. (laughs) (laughs) It's, again, lots of Return of the Jedi. It's, uh, the Emperor saying to Luke, Your fleet is lost. And your friends on the indoor moon will not survive. There is no escape, my young apprentice. Good. I can feel your anger. I am defenseless. Take your weapon. Strike me down with all of your hatred, and your journey towards the dark side will be complete. Because Anakin could clearly take this weapon and and kill her, but can't go there. Right. Well, I mean, it's also, but it's also Palpatine. Uh, but that's also what he does to Anakin. Like yeah. he tells him, like, "Hey, I can keep your uh, secret girlfriend alive. Yeah, you guys can be eating CGI pears together again for forever." <laughs> I mean, I suppose that's to to say it that it's not that he doesn't care about. Ahsoka and Obi-Wan, but maybe there's just that depthier connection with his pregnant wife and maybe sense of responsibility. Yeah. That just is pushing him over. And maybe Palpatine's just much better at seduction. Or possibly also a little bit of guilt. Like you you uh seemed to significantly harm your pregnant wife, so keeping her alive might be important. Yeah. Well and I mean Palpatine's been, you know, slowly seducing him for years. That's a real slow burn there. Whereas the Queen's mm, like True. A couple days, maybe. True. Also, to be fair, easier for her to seduce him than Palpatine. <laughs> that does take a lot of ground. A lot of just... Sl- you're playing Palpatine the long game. Palpatine will take a while, yeah. It's the long game on that one. It's like you get to know the person. <laughs> like- <laughs> we cut to Ahsoka meditating. She is suspended from like this medieval torture cage over the city. It's like this is where you're going to either get dehydrated or... You'll starve to death. It's just going to be bones hanging in this cage. Or get eaten by one of those bird lizard things. Right. In good news, a Taimolak comes over. The queen has promised once the other Jedi is tamed, you will be mine, little skug. Creepy. Ahsoka just pushes him off the side of the, of the ledge with the force. It's just like... With like a finger. It's, it's like she yeah. just kind of flicks. <laughs> Effortless. <laughs> doesn't doesn't let him in. Actually, this shows her quality of character. I'm sure she could have thrown him a little bit harder such that he could not grab hold of the, the side before falling to his, his demise. But well, that guy's getting thrown on later. So you better hope that doesn't happen. <sighs> She's so cool. She's so cool. He has a weapon. And he shocks her with the blue lightning. She's very hurt. And he's obviously getting pleasure out of this. We, there's something to be said here in terms of her, her outfit in the cage. This is the place where it really is her vulnerability that's more similar to Leia than anything else that we're going to see. I had meant to bring this up with, with the Leia outfit, but it's worth saying here. It seems to me there's, there's some costumes that are, as we said before, they're infamous. Any any others that kind of come to mind that are kind of worth pairing with Leia's outfit, Ahsoka's? 
I can think of one off the top of my head that I didn't realize was as um, problematic as it was until the follow-up movie came out. And that's yeah. what Harley Quinn wears in Suicide Squad versus in Birds of Prey. Yep. Um, which I think is just a true testament to what a, you know, a male director puts a woman in and what a female director puts a woman in. Um, whereas like in Suicide Squad, she's in a, such a ridiculous push-up bra. So her boobs are to her chin and she's in like underwear and tights. Mm-hmm. Um, it has super long hair, which is just not easy for combat. And then as soon as Birds of Prey happens, she's got her chopped off hair. She's in like a t-shirt with a sports bra underneath it and just like some shorts and probably like, I think it's like practical like shoes she's in for the whole movie, except for when she's rollerblading. Uh, she, roller she's, she's only in heels right at the beginning of the movie and i think that's only because you get the sight gag of her losing one when she jumps out of the cement truck and yes like, lopsided yeah. walking into the restaurant yeah and i remember seeing suicide squad and like i just didn't really think anything of her costuming other than like that looks pretty uncomfortable um but then as soon as birds of prey came out i was like oh yeah like this is how a woman should be dressed in movies of this caliber <laughs> This is so much more practical. And also, she looks fantastic. They make that part of her character arc as well, mm-hmm. though, yeah? Yeah. Her character arc, I've, I, I still haven't seen Birds of Prey, which I, I kick myself for. But the in DC Animated, and then uh, they they do that arc, that kind of arc with, with her character of moving towards independence. Mm-hmm. That's a big part of her story. Yeah, there. well, and that's the whole thing. I mean, Birds of Prey is like her emancipation from the Joker. Um, yeah. But man, that movie's fantastic. It, uh, look, I've been telling him for about a year to see it. <laughs> so yeah. good. I can watch it tonight. I got nothing else. <laughs> Kelly's out of town. I need to do something after this. Bang. <laughs> I got the HBO. There you go. Other outfits? I've got two. Uh, in terms of just controversial and awful costumes, I am going to mention... All of the bat suits in Batman and Robin. <laughs> they are all terrible and weird and anatomically correct in ways that they don't need to be. And there's the scene towards the end of the movie where Batman, Robin, and Batgirl put them on, and it's like close up on all of the chests, and there's bat nipples. And then close ups on like them putting on the belts, but it's really just like crotch shots and then but like the the like sculpted bat butts before the capes fall and you're like there is no absolutely no reason for this to be happening (laughs) infamous infamous and joel schumacher's explanation was like well we wanted them to be like the perfect specimens of people like greek statues so that's why they had the nipples that's so weird that's this that no so that one's awful bing the uh, the only other outfit that uh, I had on my list was America's ass. <laughs> <laughs> mm-hmm. That is America's ass. <sighs> Nobody said you had to look, Tony. <laughs> oh, there is an, another in-universe outfit we're talking about, and that's Natalie Portman's in Attack of the Clones. She's wearing a skin-tight um, white outfit there at the end. That the midriff gets mm-hmm. taken off. Is that the right way to say that? Or oh, yeah, like very strategically too. Like right. I've never really yeah. ripped fabric, but I don't think it rip like rips <laughs> like that. 
rips that perfectly. Man, as a kid, though, I loved that outfit. <laughs> I thought that was the coolest looking thing. I was like, it's all ripped. She's all bloody. It was like she just like climbed a totem pole to get away from a monster. I was like, what a badass. <laughs> well, there you Okay. So that would be perhaps the the same and yet opposite reaction that I had for the Leia outfit. Because when I see Portman, she is a young person who's chained to a pole in a very tight outfit that, that I found revealing. And on, on the flip side, it, and it's, it's entirely imprisonment. Anyway. So I do wonder if perhaps age and place of life you Probably. were in when you saw it plays it. Like, right. I saw Return of the Jedi as a very young yeah, kid who, like, obviously Princess Leia is most nerds, like, gateway into being like, oh, oh, oh. <laughs> sure. Well, that's in- that's an interesting feeling of, 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 like, weird attraction and discomfort. Um because you're you're ten, you're not you're right. six to ten when you see it. Whereas, yeah, when when you see as an adult, Natalie Portman, who is what like fourteen, fifteen, oh, she's a literal child while they're filming those. Yeah, you're like, oh, that feels weird. Something like that. I think the big difference for me is that you know that was an outfit. I mean, not not something Natalie Portman chose to wear, but it's something that the character chose to wear that wasn't put on her. Oh, that's a good distinction. I think that's a great distinction. It's a full thing when she shows up. It's yeah, just... well, and she's she's that's what she's wearing in the ship, and then they arrive, and then as the fight goes, just pieces of it start ripping off. I guess. <laughs> yeah, but there's another there's a moral element to placing somebody in revealing clothing that is seeking to make to dehumanize them, to bring them down. What is it to make them feel vulnerable? I'm looking for the right term there. I think it, well, I think it again. I mean, we said expose it exposes them or even dehumanizes them, but I yeah. don't think that's what's happening in the right Natalie Portman case. Right. I think the real issue there would be directors and costumers putting young women who feel like they don't have the power to say no in costumes that are super yep. revealing, you know. So yep. it's like, well, like character wise, like in that case, you know, it's it's something that the character chose to put on, but Natalie Portman, you know, is so young, has so had little power in the industry at that moment. You know, yep. there's no way she could say no to any costume they put her in. Sure. I have, I was in a play where that happened to a couple of young actresses and it was like seeing their discomfort was one of the most uncomfortable things I've ever experienced. So yeah. I cannot imagine, I cannot imagine what that would be like. Mm-hmm. Yeah. Well, well put. And that's got to change, as has been stated by people smarter and more eloquent than myself. <laughs> I suppose my take on this is just it feels like it's being challenged by the quality of the films and how especially female heroes are being directed by other females. And we brought up Birds of Prey already, but Wonder Woman's the same. I think Daniel and I had a conversation similar to this before in terms of, you know, Justice League, how Justice League uses Gal Gadot and how um, her first, the first Wonder Woman film directed by a woman uses Gal Gadot. It's just, and it's just, it's a bet. Wonder Woman is a better film. Yeah. I think Wonder Woman directed by Patty Jenkins utilizes Gal Gadot, whereas Wonder Woman, directed by Zack Snyder, uses Gal Gadot. Yeah. Yeah. I, man, I would love for them to do just regular superhero movies directed by women instead of 
just only female heroines directed by women. It's like, man, you know, you can let women directors direct other superheroes who aren't Truth. women and make better movies. Agreed. Which, gosh, now that that hasn't happened yet, has it? Now I, that well, you're I, especially that. in the DC universe, like Wonder Woman, not not the second one. We won't talk about that trash fire. Oh, but it was so the, bad. <laughs> but the first Wonder Woman is probably the best movie DC's put out in so many years. I was like, why aren't they utilizing Patty for any of their other movies? Some of my favorite Star Wars ever is the is the third episode of Mandalorian which is called The Sin, and it's directed by Deborah Chow. But The Sin, I, I just think, is phenomenal. I don't know that there's a woman in that episode. Um, mm-hmm. I mean, except for the, the, the armor. Priestess character, yeah. the, the Mandalorian high priestess. Our secrecy is our survival. Our survival is our strength. It's, I can't I can't articulate why I think this is true. I just like in my soul know that this is true. Women are better directors than men. Like okay. they just, like women make better art than men. And like I say that as a male artist. Like I like I have never had as high quality experiences in things that I have had that that were directed by men as I have in ones that were directed by women. Like it's just it's just it, but there you go. Ugh. But hopefully, you know, that in, in good news, it's again one of the places. I think Disney does great good in the world on some of these friends for as much crap as they get. They're they're creating significant opportunities for people of color and females to have more powerful positions mm-hmm. with huge franchises. Nobody wants to see another Michael Bay movie. <laughs> God, no. <laughs> God, no, we don't. That much lens flare is upsetting. <laughs> mm. Well, coming back around, we see the Tragoodans being let out. My people, we have found them. You're moving, Scott. And we have a new ca- character. This is a Gruss, who is the head of the slave processing operation who arrives on the planet. Comes out of one of those transportation s- ships that moves slaves. General Canoe. You are the first Jedi I have entertained at our educational center. Few possess a Jedi's resolve, and it is strength of will that is my greatest enemy. And so he turns. Here's a Rancor Pit kind of image. and hits a button and just drops seven slaves into what looks like a bottomless pit. We talked about the the woman jumping off the side of the deck to her death but this one gets me maybe it's the bottomlessness of the you just keep falling that that's shocking to me just the infiniteness of space yeah you'll eventually hit bottom there no you won't because space is infinite you'll get to the outer rim maybe (laughs) yeah you'll get to the really outer outer west whatever whatever now that i have your attention jedi be aware that it will not be you who suffers should you defy me. And this is going to be Obi-Wan's last scene, and he walks away just haggard and defeated in setup for next time. Yeah, Not last scene ever, kids. <laughs> He'll be back. Any thoughts on that exchange? Man, Obi-Wan didn't look as shocked as I thought he would after they drop all those people in. They, like, show him, and I feel like he's maybe trying to hold it together a little bit, Mm. but I was like, 
my jaw was on the floor. I was like, why isn't his? Yeah. I think he's also gotten the crap kicked out of him and... <laughs> And, so you know, tired. and is probably like I hate to say, like he's tired because that sounds like a pathetic, like well, he was tired, but like I, I just, his I jaw just was think, just snapped back into place, like that right. man's exhausted. I, I think, <laughs> I think his soul is broken at this mm-hmm. point, more so than like his body and soul are broken. So I think any 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 emotional bandwidth he might have to normally be really um, antagonized by that is not there. And all he can do is kind of go away in defeat. Yeah. We cut to Anakin flying on a Brezik with the queen behind him. And her arms are wrapped around him like they're riding a motorcycle. And it's very affectionate. Mm-hmm. You were once a slave, weren't you? What makes you think I was a slave? The noble selflessness in your eyes. Your commitment to the service of something greater than yourself. Your Jedi, the Grand Republic, even your friends. I don't see commitment as slavery. Oh, it is, when it comes at the cost of yourself. What you could be, with you willingly beside me, there is nothing we could not accomplish. We are nothing. You have all the power. It's a great line. For as immature as Anakin comes across, this line screams self-awareness. And just, it's an astute observation. Yeah. Also, every person that has ever, that Anakin has ever been around that said something along the lines of, join me, we can have all the power. He must have just just have like a notes app in his phone that's just (laughs) full of those. Because he uses so many variations of them as Darth Vader throughout the rest of Star Wars. He's like, oh, that was good. I'm going to use that one day. (laughs) Again, the character... He doesn't want to be enslaved. I'm I'm not sure that he's adverse to enslaving others, even his kid, or to not living up to this ideal that he has right here, yeah? Because you're exactly right. These same words are coming out of his mouth to his son. And if he knows this, that puts a spin on that relationship. Mm-hmm. We could rule the galaxy together as father and son, but we're nothing. I have all the power. Mm. You know? Yeah. I think it's a great image there. It also puts a spin on how Maul speaks to Ahsoka in the arc that we started the binge with. Same story. The time of the Jedi has passed. They cannot defeat Sidious. But together, you and I can. Every choice you have made has led you to this moment. Same story. Join me. Kylo Ren trying to draw Rey in. Yeah. Luke, Rey, and Ahsoka all reject that offer, as Anakin does here, but they have to fight their way out. What's interesting here is Anakin doesn't have to fight with this woman. He's actually going to have a conversation about why he's not going, and it, it just exposes something pretty core. You have all the power. And that means we can never be romantically attached. We talked about, Daniel, we talked about uh, Aladdin last time, of all things. But one of the things you can't wish for. It's more wishes. You can't make somebody fall in love with you. 
That one too. <laughs> There's a, <laughs> it's a couple of these, but maybe that's can't part of it. Can't kill anybody. Can't wish for more wishes. Can't make anybody fall in love with anybody else. The queen meets him here. What if I freed your friends? Would you promise to stay? Commit to serving me? If a Jedi as noble as you gave his word, I think you might keep it. She's at least trying to get there. Which does, I feel like, doesn't Anakin actually have power in this situation and like just isn't aware of it? Like suddenly she is bending over backwards to like, okay, what if I did this? Okay, like he is kind of. Yeah. For someone so confident in his charisma at the beginning of the episode, he's suddenly like, I have no power here. Yeah, like, which feels a little manipulating. I don't know. Mm-hmm. Maybe that is. Maybe he's playing his hand, you know, setting her up for later. Who knows? It's super obvious that she's in love. And I think that, it, like I said earlier, I think she's desperate. And I don't know how emotionally intelligent Anakin is, but that may, not. Be, that may not. be him trying to figure out a, you know, mm. a foothold there. Yeah. But Anakin's straightforward. Or maybe this is just baiting her some more. He says, I don't trust you. Have I been anything but honest? I have no reason to lie. I am who I am. It is you. You who are the complicated one. Now, Master Skywalker, the future of your friends lays in your hands. If they are to leave as slaves, it will be you who keeps them that way. There's your manipulation. And, and that's the last line. Which is just another interesting villain trope. I mean, how many villains are there that are like, I've done nothing but tell you the truth. Yeah. Like Hannibal Lecter <laughs> is one where it's like, Hannibal Lecter tells Clarice Starling the truth every single time they interact. Does everything he says he's going to do. Mm-hmm. Thanos does everything he says he's going to do. Yep. Ultron, blah, 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 right. blah, 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 blah. Like, it, it is interesting. Makes him a good villain. Indeed. (laughs) We do a good job of just exhausting things. I always (laughs) listen to other podcasts where they go, final thoughts, and somebody's like, yes, here's my epiphany that I didn't get to talk about. But not us, man. We cover these subjects. I also feel like that's that's somebody who, like, thought of that in advance. Like, they're going to ask me if I've got a final thought. (laughs) They were waiting to use it. No. We got rid of all of our thoughts in the process of this. I (laughs) can't wait to tell people what I think. So there's never any, like, do you got anything left? Nope. No, I have not a single thought left. (laughs) Not on topic. I can tell you what I think about a bunch of other things. (laughs) All right. Well, next time, we're going to end the arc with Escape from Kadavo. This is Season 4, Episode 13. Uh, as with all podcasts, this one's only going to survive if you share with friends who love a galaxy far, far away. You can find the binge list linked to our Twitter feed. Uh, we have the first part for calling students. It's all posted. And we would love for you to share your thoughts with us on the Twitter. Uh, many thanks to the incomparable Katie Campbell. Wow, the infamous? Infamous? <laughs> He's Daniel Mothershed. You'll have to do better than that, my darling. (laughs) I liked if you had worn a gold bikini, people would have liked your piece. (laughs) And I'm Jeff Cook, and I'm part of a not-even-concealed Orientalist harem fantasy, decked out in fetish wear and chains. You guys know why? Oh, God, because this is the way? This (laughs) is the way. (laughs) 
in that room of your house we can't go into. Fetish wearing chains. <laughs> Someone wake the gimp. This is the way. <laughs> we started with Pulp Fiction. It's a good place to end. <laughs> That is America's ass. Nobody said you had to look, Tony. <laughs>